welcome to the A to Z Sports Preds Nashcast, aka just two guys talking UC Soros. Coming to you live from Smashville. I am your host, Alex Darty, with A to Z Sports Nashville, and I'm here with my co-host Chris Link, and we've got a show full of Finnish netminders today. Well, at least one Finnish netminder. Uh, but before we start that, this show is brought to you by Nash House Southern Spoon and Saloon. Make Nash House your pregame and postgame destination for all Preds home games. We're also brought to you by Tennessee Tickets, TennesseeTickets.com. Zero hidden fees, unlike all the other websites. We'll talk a little bit more about Tennessee Tickets and Nash House later on, but let's go ahead and get the show started. So, Link, in your wildest dreams, did you ever think that you would be a co-host of a show that is solely focused on UC Soros? I can say unequivocally, yes. Um, that- I've always I've always known and believed that to be my future. <laughs> Uh, I, I well, knowing you for the time that I do, I thought maybe this was going to be a topic you would really enjoy to talk about. Well, I I, I want to so I, this is thing I checked just to make sure. Um, but I wrote an article Are for you... on the four check about UC Soros in De- on December fourth, twenty fifteen. Oh man, we're going now, way back now. If you want to look. Soros played one game in the 2015-2016 season. So played one game. So he hadn't I, even played at that point then? He, he, I don't know which game he played. I'd have to dig that up. I, I didn't pull that specific information. Um, but he played one game. He uh, had an .87 save percentage, gave up three goals, <laughs> um, and, and generally just didn't have a good game. So was that his, uh, was that his debut? That was his that debut. Was his debut. Yeah, okay. Yeah, first first game. Um, so I have long believed in UC Soros. I've long been a fan. I have written what is arguably fan fiction of UC Soros. Based <laughs> if you if you if you're at all familiar with the article I wrote, it is not normal um, as far as <laughs> as far as writing goes. But I am very proud of it. So you have been same. you have been on the UC Soros train for a long time. Um, and I think from the beginning, most of us were like, yeah, that sounds good. We, we, uh, we, we like him too. Let's see how he turns out. And then slowly over time, we've seen him just get better and better and better. And then now, you know, the, the predators start believing him by giving him contracts and that's been, mm-hmm. uh, fun to watch as well. So we are going to talk about UC Soros and the transition of starting goalies in Nashville. That's going to be our, our sort of main topic tonight. Uh, we are also going to talk about how the Preds just continue to do kind of just enough to stay alive in the playoff race um, while at the same time sort of doing nothing to convince us all that they belong there. Uh, we will also have the five on five, everyone's favorite. And uh, we'll, we might do the dumbest thing in hockey, maybe say something nice about the Predators as well at the end. But um, before we before we jump right into the, um, the, the wonderful UC Soros, let's recap the Preds since our last show. Seven games since we last had a show, which was in the last show of February. They went four, three, and zero, oh, which is just barely surviving. It is, it is barely surviving. So you know me, you always look at the last seven, the last since the show. I always like to look at the last ten because I'm a yeah. traditionalist. It doesn't help. Five, four, and one. Yeah, that's so. A, it's like the same pace. <laughs> they are. They are. They are over 500 in the sense of you can get an extra point by by not losing too soon. Yeah, uh, it, it's and and we'll, I know we'll get to it, but the Predators are so so lucky to even be in playoff contention right now yeah. because they we both know as we talked about the team has to be well over 500 point 
basically point pace to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you go out and you beat the Dallas Stars back to back, that helps your case a lot. Yeah. That makes that keeps you in the running when you might not uh, might not otherwise be. I mean, if they lose one of those, we're looking at a very different story than being yeah. kind of, you know, one point out from a wild card spot slash tied like losing the tiebreaker to vancouver for a wild card spot as well right and and they lost so not only did they lose three of their last seven games but they lost to two teams that they were in direct competition with Mm -hmm. in edmonton and and minnesota and actually edmonton probably is they're probably more competing for the top three in the in the pacific at this point but definitely minnesota is right there and minnesota by winning last night we're recording on monday by winning last night, are now in a playoff position over the Predators, even though the Predators were in one on Sunday. So, um, yeah, eight points out of a possible 14. That's a 57% um, point percentage, which is like, that. that is just bubble team. That is literally bubble team all season. Yeah, that is just shy of what they need to do yeah. to be successful. It, it's really such a strange place to be in because even um, the last time they were in, in this situation, was it the... 17-18 season or the 16-17 season? 17-18 was the the president's 17, trophy. Yeah, yeah, the 17-18 where they where you know they were they were a wild card team but it didn't feel like this. Mm-hmm. This yeah. this feels like they're trying to luck their way into to the, the kind of that bracket reset so to speak. Right, right. Um yeah, I actually talked about recently on my my weekly edge column about how if they're going to make the playoffs, they probably need to go to the Pacific side if they're going to have any chance. Because that, that would be huge. I don't think they have any um, chance against huge. the defensive juggernauts well, in the Central. And I just, you know, I'm, I, it, the way they've played over the last two weeks though has is kind of bugging me because they're not, just, not not just you either. They're not playing well. You know, they the the Senators game where everyone was very excited about them winning. That's the that that was a depleted team. Yeah. Like that is the most depleted NHL team that may have ever been on the modern NHL ice. And they struggled. They were not the they were not kind of projected statistically to win that game right. and managed to win it. And then they looked unconvincing against other better teams, so now they're looking unconvincing against everybody. The Calgary game was the next game and that was the miracle comeback where they scored with point two left. And Granlin scores in, in overtime, and you know what I thought was funny, and I I I, point, I remember pointing this out several times. No one really seemed to care about it, but uh, <laughs> uh, Mikhail Granlin after the game, I think people would just kind of expect you know for a player to just be kind of over the moon about a game like that. He came out and basically was like, um, "There's no reason that should have happened." Yeah, I mean, he didn't say those words, but his attitude was very much like. Um, that was kind of nuts. Like, there's no reason we should have won. There's no reason we should have tied the game. It just happened. We are lucky to have gotten out of there with a the win. Yeah. Some sometimes you're you're playing hockey. Sometimes you're playing pachinko. Like, it's you never <laughs> quite know what you're gonna get when people are on the ice with that puck. Yeah. When hockey to them seems more like a a, a game of chance on uh, um, what's that show? Price is Right, where. Hey, they're either going to win a car or they're going to be sitting right back down and getting nothing. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it really feels like nothing more than that. Um, the other two uh, games we have yet to talk about was the, um, well, the, the Edmonton game. Okay, so here's the thing with the Edmonton and the Minnesota game. And the Edmonton game, wow, that was just something to watch. They give up five goals, five goals in the third period. But what I thought was interesting about those two games was how different the defensive breakdowns were. Okay. So in Edmonton, it was 
just getting burned everywhere. Speed, skill, transition, not in transition, everything. Just complete breakdowns everywhere, especially in the third period. Minnesota was different because they were just grinding and dominating possession and then couldn't get the puck out of the zone, and Minnesota just willed themselves to a victory. It it really does highlight the two big issues with the Predators' defense this year, and that is they they struggle in transition unless— you know, Ellis and Yossi are on the ice at the same time. Right. <laughs> so, and even there, they, they they make mistakes too. So they struggle in transition, especially against fast, high-skilled teams. Edmonton's unique in that way. Uh, granted, you kind of, that Edmonton game was weird because the Predators actually, they scored three goals, three good goals. They were pushing back. It's just that Rene couldn't keep the puck out of the net. That was part of the issue. Yeah. It, you had defensive breakdowns, but also Rene was not doing anybody any favors. Otherwise, you know, if Rene puts in a normal shift of hockey and stops what you'd expect him to stop, like those low danger opportunities and, and just be a little bit better, yeah, that's actually a competitive game. Do the Predators win? Maybe not. Maybe they give up that fourth goal. Yeah. But if you score three goals, you should be in the mix. Yeah. And then the Minnesota game shows the other weakness of the Predators, which is what you just highlighted, that grinding aspect that mm-hmm. Minnesota came in with. If you keep the, I mean, this is true for any team, but the Predators are particularly vulnerable to this, so that's why I want to highlight it. You keep that puck in the zone long enough, you just wait for the Predators' defense to make that error or the forward to just kind of flare, flail their arms at the puck and try yeah. and poke it out because they're desperate. They're desperate, yeah. They they get they have this ability to get. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen it. I mean, with this particular this you know era of Preds hockey, just. It, complete inability to get the puck out of the zone, like t- just to to a degree that's in, incredibly frustrating, but almost almost impressive. Just how bad they are at at finally of clearing the zone. I mean, they will ice the puck at, just more than any any team that you that you watch. And and the and it's sometimes it's deployment. Sometimes the the, uh, the bottom pairing and the bottom lines are getting deployed together, and they just get stuck out there for a minute plus. And then sometimes it's just you know certain legs are tired and and you've got you know a johansson line out there with like a you know a, a yarn croak and they're doing what they can and then they get worn down and then all of a sudden there's a puck in the back of the net so yeah. it's, it's man it's it's really bad uh at times but at the same time they are uh this is this has been an extremely 2019 2020 nashville predators sequence of games i mean mm-hmm. because the dallas games um, and we're about to get into it, but I mean, UC Soros won those games for sure. Yeah. Uh, but they, the second game was better than the first game, I think. But the, you know, the, the Predators were hanging around and maybe they were doing some pretty good things and playing better special teams. That's been good to see. Um, so I'm just gonna go out and say it. The it, UC Soros stole the games. The Predators had no right to be hanging in those games at times against Dallas. Mm-hmm. Dallas is clearly a better hockey team and played that way. It just so happened that UC Soros has found whatever gear that he seems to find as the season rolls on and was just absolutely dominant. Yeah, uh, Stopping the first puck, giving up the rebound, but getting in position and making the second save. Uh, and he was doing it himself. Yeah, like He wasn't getting a ton of help. No. Uh, in, in either of those, uh, on any side of the ice. Yeah. The, the I didn't actually get to watch the d- second Dallas game uh, the whole time. I did watch uh, the highlights afterwards. I was at a wedding. But um, the, the from what I could tell, it was it was just nothing but sorrow saves after sorrow save and, and, hmm. and pretty 
um, minor attempts at offense by the Predators at times, especially in the third period. So that was uh, something to watch. Um, speaking of which, let's go ahead and get to it on the uh, on the main story here. Before we do that, let's tell you about Nash House. The Preds Nash House Nashcast is brought to you by Nash House. That's a pretty tough uh, sentence to say. You got it, though. I got it. I, I worked it out. First it, try. Just like the Predators trying to beat the Dallas Stars, it barely worked. Uh, <laughs> if you want a great place to go to uh, go to before Preds games that isn't overrun by honky-tonks and tourists, uh, go to Nash House. They've got great food, uh, great drink selections, a perfect place for pregame and postgame uh, before and after Preds games. Located on 8th Avenue, in the same building as the Cambria Hotel, you can park up to two hours for free, go to the go to the Nash House, grab some food, drinks, hang out with fellow Preds fans, then go to the game, and then come back afterwards and hang out again, celebrate the win and all that, have fun. Nash House, Southern Spoon and Saloon on 8th Avenue, and speaking of good times, no one is having a better time playing hockey right now than UC Soros, and I, I think the best way to think about this is that the... The transition seems to be happening. I, I, do you, am I wrong here? The transition is finally the, the yeah. transition we've been waiting for for three, four years now. Yeah, I mean, so I, when I was thinking about this subject, I wanted to get an idea, just trying to get a, just a recency idea, because January was a bit of a crazy month for the Predators. So I'm like, okay, let's look at February through today. <clears throat> just an arb, really kind of a semi-arbitrary amount of time. I just wanted to cut January out of the mix. Because Hines was still kind of finding his footing, the team yes. was a little bit lost, etc. Um, so February first to March 9th, which is today, uh, fifteen starts for Soros. Okay, that's most of the games. Just yeah. FYI. Oh, yes, right. Uh, so yeah, I think that's, that's a yeah. lot of games. And yeah. that's, that's not just. I know you're waiting for something very I was different. Like, yeah, well, no, I wasn't. I was uh, waiting for like, what's the next? But uh, that was it. That, that was yeah, the whole thing. I mean, Fifteen starts. How that, that's how you know that's not riding the hot hand. No, no, no. that is committing to a goaltender. Yeah, it certainly is. That's it, okay. So, and it's not just that the fifteen game, that that he's getting the the bulk of these starts. It's you know he's obviously he's been so clearly the better goalie now for. A month, two, three months, month maybe? and a half. Yeah, I mean, I'd say. I would. I hesitate to say the whole season, mm. even though I think at the beginning of the season he was maybe slightly better. It's just he was getting poor results because of the play on the ice uh, by the defense. I mean, um, but at, at the very least, two months, probably more like three. Um, and and so Pecorini's role has been just sort of reduced, and and he's obviously been pulled from games more frequently. I think Saros got pulled like once this year. Uh, Soros has come in for, for Rene several times. Um, but I, I want to give you just some some quick numbers on this because I tweeted give me, about give this. Give me the numbers. And I wrote an article about it. So, yeah, here's some numbers. So, like, the last eight appearances, which is a lot of games. That is not just a blip. That is that is a substantial amount of data. Eight games. I'm sorry, eight appearances. He's got a 949 save percentage. Now, in eight appearances, that's a really high number. 949. But going back since January 1st, among 49 different goalies in the league who have who quali- who would be you know considered qualifying goalies, meaning they've they've met a certain amount of time percentage, he ranks fourth, fourth out of almost 50 goalies in even strength save percentage and second in goals saved above average. So these he's he's keeping company with guys like Tuka Rask, Andre Vasilevsky, Connor Hellebuck, who are all like. Basically, Vezina finalists. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think mean, I just named him. Those are the <laughs> those are the Vezina finalists right there. And Soros has been 
the second half of the season as good or better than all those guys. Yeah, and it, and it's and it, what's amazing is how much he's recovered over his early season numbers. Um, I mean, if you were looking at any of like the the the, the Gar models, the games of a replacement models, or anything like that, yeah, you know, the Predators were not doing well. Their goalies were not ranking well on those. No. Now I think I just checked today, just out of curiosity, and Saros is now up above Carter Hart of Philadelphia. Mm. Hart, who's been having a very good season, the first time the, the Flyers yeah. have had a competent goaltender in, I don't know how long. Probably 10 years? I 10 years maybe. Gen- I mean, with, they had... With Brzezgalov? I don't know if anyone would have described Brzezgalov as competent during his tenure in, oh, in, really? in Philadelphia. He wasn't good there? He, well, I mean, no. Well, he was maybe not. That's, maybe that's another podcast. He was not He was not very good. <laughs> okay. Keep okay. in mind, they, ship, they shipped off Bobrovsky so they could keep uh, Brzezgalov, and then Brzezgalov was not around for that long. Oh. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, okay. it was it was a cluster May, over I, there. You know what? I'm thinking of Br- Br- uh, probably thinking of Bobrovsky. Anyways, keep, keep going. Um. Oh, where was I going? I just know he just he's he has been playing so well mm-hmm. that he has basically washed away how dreadful his numbers were for the first several months of the season. Yeah. We're talking like October, November, a chunk of December. Right. And that, and that's why you know with goalies and to some extent with with skaters too, you really have to look at the 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 aggregate of their season, you really have to break it down into chunks because of how much they play. And if, if you just look at, I mean, what what are UC Soros? Like his overall save percentage right now in 1920 is a 9.13, which is actually not bad. But at one point he was like, well, he was well below 900. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. It was really, that's how good he's been the, uh, the, the second half of the season. So, some other keys to the last couple weeks that I've noticed from Soros, and I just kind of went through and, and looked at uh, just a couple things. Um, in the back-to-back shutouts of Dallas, um, which were just incredible to watch, the, the the second one was really the most impressive one. He had 37 saves, and a lot, and there were a lot more dangerous shots. If you look at the shot map, there's just so much right in front of him. And this is the game, the second game, the one you said they were really lucky to get out of there with a win. Um, in the th- In the Calgary game, going back to that one, what I saw was, so there's no doubt the Predators were lucky to win that, but they were, he was a reason too, because mm-hmm. he had 36 saves in that, and there were some very big stops in the third period to keep it a one-goal game. Um, and what I noticed was, I mean, his his lateral movement has always been a really big strength. He's great on his skates, certainly compared to Rene, who that's kind of his weakness, you know, like moving laterally is, he's he's athletic, but he's just so big, it takes a while. He was so good laterally. I mean, there were there were a couple saves there. There was one where he denied Sam Bennett and then came all the way across across to stop uh, Tobias Reeder twice. Then got in position again and gloved down a wrist shot like it was nothing. His puck tracking's been great. He's good laterally. His biggest challenges are like his rebound control. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's been better recently, or at least he's been hiding it. I don't know. I, I, anything in his particular game that you've seen or or, or liked recently? Well, I, I will say that the rebound control continues to be an issue, though it's one of those things that can get masked very easily because rebounds by nature, while they while they result in high danger opportunities, it is a puck bouncing off of a guy who's dressed like a pillow. <laughs> so it, there's there's a lot of random elements. You shouldn't have worn the pillows then. Uh, but it, but it, and also I feel okay about it because. Rebound control is something you can you can teach. It's not like it's not like an innate skill, which still baffles um, me. How do you teach that? I don't even get I, it. I, so I'm not a goaltending expert. So if you're a goaltending expert listening to this, 
follow up with me and DM on Twitter or something. We right, can, we can yeah. we can figure it out together, and you can give me a better explanation, and I'll make sure you get credit, etc. But I think there's there's a degree of um, because you because part of it is if your body is really stiff, the bo- the puck's gonna hit you, bounce off. Mm-hmm. So when the puck hits you, you need to soften the impact right. and let it kind of fall into you and Collect lose. It, yeah, you yeah. want to you want to absorb the shock of the puck and let it drop down into a safe area. Right. Um, so I think a lot of times that doesn't happen with stars. I think he tends to because he's trying to stay in position and he's okay. trying to block the net. I think he tends to deflect more pucks and he absorbs whereas someone like Rene who naturally takes gotcha. up more space he can he can be a little bit looser yeah because if if Pekka goes at you know full size he's takes he you know or he hunches over he's still taking up the entire net so he has time to sort of make those absorbing moves or and, he can already be in a in a in a more relaxed position so he can absorb them more naturally but Saros does have to because of his size has to naturally Worry about his positioning a lot more and yeah. become more stiff and, and maybe more rigid about where he is. But that brings us to what I really like about Saros's game, and I always have since even since he was in Milwaukee, is that he, because of his size disadvantage, he has to be not only very good positionally, which involves lateral movement, but he has to be able to read the play really well, and that's yeah. what that's his biggest asset. He's a very smart goaltender. So what he lacks in sort of the just the physical size, he more than makes up for in decision making, positioning, things that honestly are weaknesses for Pekka. They're sort of like inverses of each other. Interesting. In many yeah. ways, where Pekka is, you know, he's got size, he's got some, re- he's got good reactions, he's got an amazing glove. His positioning is occasionally suspect, mm-hmm. and he definitely makes some boneheaded plays. It's like one of his signatures. He'll go out to play. He'll make. A, he'll go out to play a puck he has no business playing. He'll go for a poke check that is way too ambitious. He just he's he just makes some weird decisions. It's always funny. It, it, we've talked about this before. I think on the Predcast about how um, anytime the national broadcasters come in, they, all they want to talk about is how great Pekka is at, at playing the puck. And it's like, and all the uh, everyone who watches the team all the time is like. First of all, no, he's not. Second of all, the only reason you think that is because he does it a lot because yeah. he makes bad decisions and goes out there yeah. all the time. He's super confident. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think Soros is an exceptional punk yeah. handler, but he's he makes really good decisions yeah. overall. Uh, and that, and that's what I like to see. And and I think someone like that is going to be very teachable because you can try and work with him to find ways to, to address rebounds. I, I think it's always going to be a bit of a challenge, which means that you know that, which means the uh, the attacking players in their team are going to know that they're going to be looking for that but it also means that the defense can prepare and respond accordingly now that brings you into a whole separate set of issues with Nashville right, as far as yeah. defensive decision making right. but it's it's again it's an addressable issue it's not something you can't overcome and i think that i do think that since Hines has been on board they've been better about collecting those rebounds they, they've certainly at least they've tried to become a more de- uh, centrally focused you know yeah. more compact in the middle of the ice and so when they're when they're more compact they're they're usually available to get those rebounds yeah i think the the zone defense helps soros's style um i think for pekka it was it was okay to do the Mm man-to-man because pekka could make up for it with his just size and athleticism make up for a lot of mistakes he just took up a lot of space and, and had good reactions but soros needs a little bit more support in certain areas and i think the zone defense that heinz prefers complements Saros's skill set very well. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm going to go ahead and reserve that for my saying the nice thing of the natural predators <laughs> is that 
the zone defense actually works for their starting goaltender. We'll, Let's just we'll just circle back around to that. I'll we'll just repeat we'll that re- ad nauseum. We'll just replay. I'll Can you just cut, cut the audio just and cut put the it audio in? and put it there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, another point I want to make is, uh, well, actually, back up a second. Um, so I think the real test because we started this conversation by saying, is the transition complete? And I, I, I am. I think it has. I really. I in my gut and also what I'm seeing out on the ice or uh, with the team is is that the transition has taken place and that this is UC Soros' team. And I, I think that, that now Pecorine is going to pick up more of a backup role. But the real test is if they make the playoffs, who starts game one. And I know what I think, and I've been saying for weeks that I think it's going to be Soros, but do, do, you think it, do you think that it would happen, yeah. actually happen? Yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, part of the reason we're used to always seeing Pekka is because of the coaching aspect. Yeah. I mean... Trotz was always going to start Pekka. Pekka was the guy, and there's no reason why he wouldn't be the guy. Yeah, mo- most of his tenure, uh, there was the only it, option. <laughs> same, same thing with Laviolette. Like, why why would you go with the unproven asset when you've got, you know, a Vesna winner, winner who's sitting on the bench? Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't make sense. You're, you're going to go with the person who you think and has the history. Higher paid. Yeah, and yeah. Hines doesn't have, doesn't have to worry about that aspect of loyalty. I mean, he came in, and he's going to evaluate the players based on his own criteria, and and for goaltending, it's going to be one way. For forwards, it's obviously very different. Very different, yeah. And uh, how he seems to evaluate forward performance. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, it's, as long as you're getting, over the course of a week, you're getting good performances from Soros. I mean, he's going to have nights where, where pucks get past him one reason or another. You you don't change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he keeps with them, if, if Soros is part of the reason the Predators make the playoffs— not starting him is a disservice to the team because they made it was Soros's predators that made the playoffs, not Rene's. I that's a great way of putting it. Put that on a on a t shirt or a, a tweet and send it out to the world because that's that's exactly it. it it's UC Soros's predators that made that are going to make the playoffs. It won't be Pecorine's, and that's very sad to, to think. But look, the guy is thirty seven. He's made the playoffs. I don't even know how many times. Twelve times. <laughs> eight times 10 times whatever it is and it, it, now it's time to really see what what the kid can do another thing is soros is in his fourth full season um he's already started the same number of games that rene did through his uh four, his first four seasons 103 starts but soros is three years younger soros is 24 mm-hmm. by that time rene was 27 um and rene had already started like six games so there should be no like soros isn't ready for the playoffs yet he's too he's too uh too un, unproven i mean he's younger but he's played the same amount of games and at, at this point rena had already started in the playoffs What's, the, the thing about it is is all that like playoff experience stuff is so much rhetoric like you're still i mean is there a little bit more fanfare are fans maybe a little bit more intense maybe you have some nerves in the early rounds and it's going to get worse yet but it's like you're still going out and you're going to play four to seven hockey games mm-hmm. And if you're the better team that night, you know, yeah. you do it enough, you go forward and not. And let's, um, let's be honest, Soros has essentially started a couple games here in the playoffs. Because the yeah. Winnipeg game, what Rene was pulled, what was that, nine, ten minutes into the game? So he played like 50 minutes of that one. That's basically a start. That was in uh, uh, 2018. Uh, he got pulled a couple times in Pittsburgh back in uh, 2017. That was those, I don't think Soros played well in those games either, but... Uh, and then last year got pulled in uh, against Dallas. So it's not technically a start, but at this point, Soros does have experience. He's played in seven playoff games and has a decent per save percentage too. 
Actually, a really good save percentage, uh, 925. But, um, yeah, so... I, I'll also point out, yeah, so he, um, he has competed in, what, multiple world championships, world junior championships, uh, under-18 championships. Uh, he's got... Gold medals, silver medals. I mean, he. It's not that he hasn't been in high pressure situations in That's in his point. career. Yeah. Um. You know, he's he's a regular for you know Team Finland, and and he probably will will continue to, to battle for sp- starts with the Finnish national team going forward. I mean, there's obviously not exactly a lack of quality Finnish goaltenders in the world. Um. But you know, he's st- certainly got an argument. Um, to be involved in in those events going forward. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. Go ahead. I will also say because because again I didn't do this before and I, I wish I had. I looked up the UC Saros's start in uh, 2015. So he it was November 8th. I keep on my article came out December 4th. So clearly there's a timeline. <laughs> so November 8th or November 28th it was against the Buffalo Sabers. The Predators lost 4-1. Okay. That fourth goal was an empty net goal. But this is such a great example of, a, of like Predators history. So scoring only one even strength goal in the entire game. That was scored by Buffalo in the third period. Everything else was power play. Uh, Mike Fisher scores from James Neal. Yeah. Uh, you have Jamie McGinn scoring from Cody Franzen as the secondary assist. Ugh. And then you have Sam Reinhardt scoring with David Legwand as the secondary assist. David Legwand played for the Sabres? He played for the Sabres, yeah. I do not remember that. It gets even better, though. In the second period... Victor Arvison takes gets a five minute cross checking penalty and a ten minute game misconduct. I, I have no memory of this game. Like this, this is just a. Um, a and then spot yeah, I mean it's such a such like a great example of and then of course <laughs> the winning goaltender with with a nine six six save percentage is Chad Johnson. Oh yeah, Chad Johnson. Chad Johnson, who is like out of the league now, career. Right? I mean, I would imagine he played like he played a couple seasons as like a nominal starter. Like he split starts in Calgary and played like as the starter for Buffalo that year. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you know, we're talking like a career 907 save percentage. <laughs> like he's he's not good. I mean, but what a great game. <laughs> and why that experience inspired me to write what I wrote, I don't know. I mean, I, I had, was familiar with him in Milwaukee and was tracking him and watching That's him at, at camps and things. But yeah, at that point, he had been a, a very good uh, goaltender for the, the Admirals yeah. at that point. So he was definitely, he was on the radar, but yeah. like I just decided that he was he was the future of the team. So I just was, wanted to make sure I hit that note before he moved on. Right, so for, just for anyone who's just tuning in to the UC Soros lore, fourth round draft pick uh, in 2013, obviously a finish... Goaltender. He'll be 25 by the end of this season. No, he turns he turns 25 in this summer. Okay, so there you go. All right. Um, well, I think it's going to happen. I, I, sorry, I think it already has happened. I think that UC Soros is the starting goaltender for the Nashville Predators moving forward. Um, He's, he always starts going, my heart. Let's go ahead and get to the quick hit segment, the five on five. <laughs> Everybody loves it. Link, you got your skates on. Are you ready to do this? I, I've got my checkerboard van slip-ons on. Okay. That's basically some, the same thing. I'm going to put some hockey skates on because you're about to go on over Should the I, boards. Do you want me to go upstairs and no. grab <laughs> you, those? You're going over the boards. Okay. The 5 on 5 is brought to you by Tennessee Tickets. TennesseeTickets.com. Zero hidden fees, unlike all the other websites. Tickets to Preds games, Titans games, home and away, college sports, all that, concerts and everything. Use the promo code AZ10. That will save you another $10 off 
your savings using Tennessee tickets. So go check it out. Buy some tickets to a game. Okay, question number one. Why do you think Matt Duchesne has underperformed this season? Or I should say underproduced, because I don't think in every way he's underperformed. I think he's underproduced, for sure. He's sitting on 44 points. He's on pace for a 55-point season, which is not worth $8 million a year. Um, why do you think Matt Duchesne has underproduced? The, the easy, maybe even lazy answer is that Nashville is where offense goes to die. Uh, you know, if, if this were, I mean, this is a silly statement, but if this were 10 years ago, no, everyone would be like, oh, we got Matt Duchesne. Granted, we would have gotten him in Nashville when he was like 32 and, yeah. you know, on a, still probably paying the same amount of money and, right. you know, but <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I, I think some of it is down to John Hines. I mean, he's just all the, all the guys who should be the top six players are just seeing drastic cuts to ice time, less deployment, less opportunity. Uh, I, I really don't agree with that approach to coaching. I never have. Uh, my my go-to example, as with so many things in life, is Craig Smith. Because, you know, what did Toronto do with Craig Smith? What did Laviolette do with Craig Smith? When Craig Smith wasn't scoring for long stretches, they started demoting him down the line. Yeah. Well, how is Craig Smith supposed to score goals when you put him in few opportunities to score goals? Yeah. You need to put your offensive players in positions to to do what they're supposed to do and let them do it you know i i have a i have a name that i'm going to mention and this is exactly goes along with exactly what you're talking about kevin fiala kevin fiala got demoted and benched and and put in the doghouse all year long for for a couple years there under laviolette and what's happening now in minnesota he's tearing it up because he's getting chances yeah i mean there there's part of and I think this is this can be a problem with many NHL coaches and, and maybe hockey coaches in general, is that there's this mentality of they have developed their system, the way they play hockey. You know, this is how I think you take tool, you, you, you find success on the ice. And they teach the players the system and they expect players to execute within the system, follow the rules, and they say, if you do these things, you will find success. That approach doesn't work for every player because because not every player has that skill set you know if i bring it around to soccer mm -hmm. coaches typically because it's a little easier to acquire players in soccer than it is in in the nhl especially if you're in europe you can just buy the players you want for the most part yeah uh you say okay a coach has a system and he can go out and just like okay for my number 10 i want someone who is more attacking more goal driven maybe not as creative with passing but that's fine because I, you know, I really rely on my deep line midfielders to distribute balls, you know, mm -hmm. so you can go out and you can build a team that way. And so that vision of here's the system I play, here's how we make it work. I can adapt to some things, but I can make the system work by acquiring the right players. That doesn't really happen in the NHL. In the NHL, rosters are, are, some, are really less fluid. You know, you tend to have, there's, there's a smaller pool of players as well. And acquiring players is very difficult because you have to give up significant assets to gain significant assets. Yeah. And it's a balancing act. So when a coach comes in and says, here is my system, he can't just say, oh, well, you know, my left winger is supposed to do X, Y, and Z. So let's get a winger that does exactly that. That It's too difficult to do that. Yeah. So you say, left winger, do X, Y, and Z. And if the winger can't, what do you do? You cut his ice time. 
So I think there is an issue where some of the resources Heinz has cannot perform in the way Heinz needs them to perform. Mm-hmm. Heinz, at least in, in New Jersey, had a very high tempo, high speed game. The Predator's most elite tools, are Arvison aside, aren't known for their speed. Like if Forsberg had Arvidsson like speed, yeah, he would be elite. beyond. He would be absolutely top tier yeah. elite. He doesn't. He has the, he has the skills. He has the hands. Mm-hmm. He's a good skater, but he's not a fast skater. Not a fast skater. Yeah. It's the same thing with guys like Johansson and Duchesne. They're not speedsters. See, Duchesne has more speed than he's had. I I I, I mean, Duch- I would say Duchesne is probably one of the faster forwards. I just have not seen it this year. Well, if he's, he's been he, fast in, in in previous years. He's, I mean, I don't know. If but it's the old. rest of the team is slower. Oh yeah, like yeah. he's on a slower oh, team for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe he has an injury. But he's, again, I've I've gone on and on. Um, no, but I right. think that there's. I think that that what coaches need to do in the NHL more is to look at the tools they have and figure out how to optimize them. And that's what we've seen in Fiala in, in Minnesota is that they found a way to optimize his skill set within the system. Yeah. Not make him succumb to the system we saw that because we've seen fiala go that way i think Rad, even like radulov probably underperformed in nashville because of barry trotz's system yeah. um colin wilson david Legwan, these are guys who may have had very different careers if they weren't shoehorned into highly defensive systems yeah that's a great point and the, the, the thing with duchene i remember uh when he was first signed this this may just be um, putting something there that's not, but I remember there being this like kind of immediate kind of confusion where uh, Duchenne was on the on the on the the media call, like there was a, a phone call in the middle of the room and everyone was just listening. And at the just before that, David Poyle talked about you know why they wanted to sign Duchenne and his thing was like offense. It's all about speed and offense. And he was, and people started asking him questions about where he's going to play because that was like the big thing, you know, is, Johan- is he can take Johansson's role. And uh, Poyle basically said, "Now Poyle is the GM. He's not the coach. He's not the guy that's putting the the lineup together. Everything. He just he he just signs the guys. But he was talking about, well, they had talked with Laviolette, and you know, we he's obviously going to play center, but he can play some wing." Uh, if he if he needs to, I think we you know we left or left wing or right wing, he can he's able to play that. Fast forward to the phone call with Matthew Shane. Someone asked him. I think it was either John Glennon or Robbie Stanley asked him. Uh, Poyle said something about you playing possibly playing wing. Is that something you're comfortable with? And Duchesne was like, Well, I've never really played wing that much. I'm really more of a right wing sometimes, but I'm really just more of a center. Mm-hmm. And immediately we were all like. Oh, okay. So that conversation must not have happened yet. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the whole the whole thing with Duchesne coming to Nashville. I, I think we talked about this early in in the show um, earlier, in, you know, last year. Oh, maybe like episode. One. But like, I have on very good authority that, and, and to the surprise of no one, basically confirming what everyone already believes. The reason Duchesne decided to sign for the Predators is because he wants to live in Nashville. Yeah, right. he's like the only guy in the NHL who wants to come to Nashville, and like yeah. because it's Nashville. Yeah. Um, he took less money because he wants to live in Nashville, live and work here. Yeah. That, you know, yeah, that's that's the beginning mystery. and end of it. Like, yeah. it's not like a secret, but I've I have on very good authority that that is a hundred percent the case. Yeah. So. Great first question, man. We hit a lot of stuff on that. On that it's question. a big, it's a big question. That was a huge question. All right. Um, second question: What did you think of the headshot that Roman Yossi made on uh, Corey Perry last Saturday? If you missed it, or if anyone listening to this missed it, 
Uh, Yoshi was in front of the net. Corey Perry was there. Apparently, just before this, Capri had taken a slash to him. I didn't see the slash, but I, I assume it happened. Yoshi turned away from the play to make this hit. Definitely targeted his head. I'm not sure if he landed on the head, but he definitely targeted at it and put some serious force behind it. And Corey Perry went down. I don't know if he left the game or not, but um, Jerome Yossi was fined $5,000 for the hit, which is the maximum allowable, but he was, there was no hearing, not suspended. Uh, what was your reaction when you saw that? You can't do that. I mean, we all know you can't do that. He got fined for it. I, I If they had suspended him for, for a few games... I, I couldn't have been upset either. I, I don't I don't care who the player is. You don't do that. Yeah, I, I think th that was it's my just, thought. It, I think it's real simple. I thought there might be a suspension. Uh, I was a little surprised there wasn't one, honestly. Yeah, I mean, and and I remember in the other one, of the, I can't remember which Dallas game it was um, of the last two, but you know, you know, Tenorti and and trying you know picking a fight out of the yeah. blue with with perry it was i mean it, there's this sort of resignation in Corey perry a lot of times where he's like well you know i know this people are going to come after me this game i'm ready for it like it was barely a fight like perry's like okay i have to do this yeah otherwise it's going to be a problem the whole game drops his gloves immediately gets a good grab all the way around tenority just gets down to the ice as quickly as possible i mean yeah. they didn't even rank a fighting major for that fight, even though both of them dropped their gloves and rushed down to the ice. Right, right. right. They only got roughing, roughing minors. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's a little, honestly, like as much as, as it's a sore spot of the, the Ellis concussion and as big of a scumbag as Corey Perry is and how he plays, there it's, it's a little, the whole thing's a little bit sad. It's like everyone's a little bit going through the motions. And I think the NHL needs to get even more serious when it comes to headshots. Uh, you know, not only should, you know, Perry should have really been gone probably longer for his hit on Ellis. Um, in my opinion, it's not like he, this is a first time thing for him. Uh, and certainly players who retaliate, uh, you know, officials need to be aware of that. They need to be prepared for, for that. And there's no reason the NHL can't have a retaliation policy. These things happen. We know they happen. We watch them point. happen. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they'll, they'll work that in. I doubt it. Okay. Um, all right, third question three. Which of these defensemen need to be out of the lineup? Oh, God. <laughs> you, only have, you only have three options. I'm only giving you three options. Uh, because and So the reason Dan Hamuse is not in this list is because he's already out with an injury, day-to-day mm. -day injury. Which of these three defensemen? Tenorti, Holzer, or Weber? Yannick Weber, Jared Tenorti, Corbinian, Holzer. So... The, the, here's the only thing tricky about this is that we haven't seen a lot of holes there yet. I think what I've seen I've liked so far. Am so I'm I'm willing to have Tenorti sit and give Holzer a chance okay. to see if he can't improve over Matt Irwin. Yeah, right. As a replacement. Uh but it's it's Difficult to say that. I mean, with given the current setup, I'd much rather have Ham Hughes and Weber on the ice. Um, Ham Hughes makes mistakes, obviously, but he's I think he's a mostly adequate third-pairing defenseman at this point in his career. Weber is not elite. He is serviceable. He is not going to get much work done, but the faster of all those. Yeah, but he can yep. he can he he can do things. Tenorti is not good. Holzer has. Had a fine couple of games. I mean, not good. Yeah. 
certainly not convincing, but he's competing for ice with, with Tenorti, which is not a difficult competition. I would not take Holzer out just yet. I would keep him in. I would take Tenorti out. Yeah, I, I think you know Tenorti's been bad. You might as well try something different. You traded for him to try something different. You might as well try. Yeah, there you go. All right, question four. We're flying through these now. Looking ahead to the summer, if you can only sign one, who do you sign, Granlund or Smith? Kyle Granlund, Craig Smith, both both restricted free agents, both do some sort of a pay raise. I'm not not restricted free agents, unrestricted free agents. Um, who, who do you sign right I, now? I, I think you got to go after Granlund. Uh, he's younger. He has more overall utility of the two. Yeah. Uh, if and, and frankly, if if Smith wants a a pay rise coming out and going into his early 30s, it's getting to be a little bit risky. Uh, I'd, I'd rather see him walk. I, I would personally prefer to see Smith retire a predator, uh, but I just don't think that's realistic. I, if the team can only sign one of them, uh, I would have to go with Granlin just because he seems to work really well within Heinz's system. I agree with that. He's been great since Heinz came on board. I would go with Granlin as well. Um, I think his, his, his cost is going to be higher than people think. Because, like you said, oh, he's, he, he's younger and he has the same offensive upside, so yeah. he's definitely going to be more expensive. Uh, and and there is no way they're going to let after seeing, especially. I mean, you know how David Poyle can be very uh, wanting to prove that he did the right thing. Uh, <laughs> the the Fiala for Granlin trade is looking worse by the day, by the minute. Every goal that Kevin Fiala scores, th- he is not going to let Mikhail Granlin walk. So, well, and that's that's see, I think that's the kind of the interesting part two to the question is which one would we want to keep versus which ones want to stay? Yeah. Does Smith say, you know, this Predators team is really on the downswing? Like, I kind of want to go somewhere and see if I can't like chip in 20 goals to someone else's Stanley Cup campaign. You know, someone who's missing a little bit of depth scoring. Granlin may say the same thing. Like, I'm 27, 28. I've got one big contract in me. I want to go somewhere that really looks like a competitor who's just missing just that one spark. And I'm going to make it happen. Like, this team is on the downswing. There's like a real perception issue that Predators have. Like, Poyle has to demonstrate to these players, whichever one he wants to keep, that this is a team they want to play for. That's that's the probably the bigger sell. That's a good point. And I, I bet I bet Granlund though it, it's it's very odd it's gotta be odd for him because the the when he was traded from Minnesota, uh, and even in the in the year or so after that, six months or so after that, it was looking like Minnesota was the sinking ship and then all of a sudden they're 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 flying up the charts and they've looked like they figured out some stuff. Um, and now they have a new coach and a new GM and everything. So I don't know. It's very odd. It's got to be strange for him. But I bet M- Mikhail Granlund is like, is probably thinking um, he might not want to risk another transition this late in his career mm-hmm. and go and just go with something he knows could work. Uh, but if, you know, if he, if he jumps and signs with Calgary or if he goes to. Anaheim. I don't know who's out there looking for Miguel Granlund. You just don't know what what's gonna hand, what's gonna happen. Yeah, um, a lot so, of considerations. Yeah. Um, okay. Last question is actually not about hockey at all, but I did want to ask you this. Uh, did you have do you did you have enough warning for the the tornadoes that came through? We're recording this Monday night, uh, March 9th. This is so six days six days after, um, almost a week after um, the just 
devastating tornadoes that came through Nashville. I was not personally affected. It was, uh, we, we do have some friends that were, um, I know that it came very close to you. Um, sort of what was that, what was that night like for you? Um, and this kind of where you are. Well, I, I have a bad habit where I, I don't have my cell phone in my bedroom ever. Um, and I didn't. I think that's a good habit. I, well, I mean, mo, you know, nine, 364 days of the year. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't hear any alerts going off of my phone. So, you know, I, I basically woke up and was overheated. It was stuffy. Mm-hmm. And so I went to turn my fan on. I've got like a, my fan has like a little remote. It's kind of nice. Yeah. And I just hit the button and nothing happened. And I was confused. And I looked at my clock. The clock was, I was confused. And then I noticed just the horrible wind. Wind like I had never, ever heard before. Right. Going and decided I would go downstairs, see what's going on, figure out maybe if the breaker flicked off or something. Mm-hmm. And that's when I saw all the messages. And and um, my, my one friend Adam had texted me being like, hey, there's a tornado coming straight at you. Right. And it took me a while. Like, I'm like, well, I mean, we get tornadoes here occasionally, like straight at me. And then I like opened up Twitter and everything. I'm like, oh, yeah, they, they mean straight at me. Yeah. And it literally, we could, you know, if we walked out my door, we could be at a, a, a site demolished by the tornado within probably 10 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was devastatingly close. And I didn't sleep that night. It was basically me and my fiance texting back and forth. And then yeah. the second the sun came up, she was over here and we were just like cooking, you know, we, we just started grilling food and cause you know, there's no power and we didn't know when it was coming back on. And, and you were without power for a couple days. Uh, yeah, I came back uh, late on Thursday for me. So Tuesday, basically <clears throat> Tuesday all the way through Thursday, you know, afternoon. Um, without it, power it's it's really something to uh realize how fortunate you you like you one can be I, a, during this situation the fact that i only had to throw out a few things from my fridge mm-hmm. when people not not even half a mile away lost their homes yeah uh absolutely i mean i incredibly grateful yeah um you know it was one of those things where i i had to and i i kind of had mixed feelings but i needed to see the damage and the change to come to terms with what almost occurred and what I, did occur. I, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, there are there are things all around me I can see now that I couldn't see before, and I mean that literally. Like I'm not, not figuratively. Like there are hills I didn't know there were hills. There are houses where I didn't know how because the trees are gone. Um, yeah, and these are things I can just look out and see. It, yeah. it, it's just um, uh, you know, and and that was me being just incredibly incredibly fortunate uh that the impacts to me are so minor i'm like my biggest problem is figuring out where i'm going to grocery shopping because the kroger i go to lost its facade <laughs> yeah right yeah then that's the thing and, and these are these are inconveniences for sure but obviously not not anything close to yeah. what what happened with most people I, not I, there, even remotely there are businesses that i that that were completely destroyed well, near my house and uh, yeah not I, to mention all the homes i mean i spent so much time at five points over the years so much of that is destroyed. Yeah. Where the place where I buy all of my tea, High Garden, you know, they're doing. I mean, I say look up High Garden. They're doing benefits and things, trying to raise money to rebuild. I mean, their their business is gone. Yeah, their insurance isn't covering anywhere near yeah. what they need. Um, yeah, these this is these are incredibly good people who I've spent hours talking about tea in depth with, mm-hmm. uh, and to, to think that I may never 
have that experience again. Um, something that's been so important in my life being in Nashville is is difficult. And but again, these are these are just small difficulties. And there's so many people who have what I would consider real problems and real challenges. And and thankfully, there's been so much support um, from from local organizations, from Nashville citizens. It's been really great. The support coming from um, NHL teams, the Predators have played recently. Mm-hmm. You know, Dallas being far going above and beyond. Um, you know, uh, last night the National SC game. You know, Portland wore a, a patch in support of uh, Nashville. Um, so I, you know, I think that's encouraging well, that's as, a, to see. It's inspiring to see. That's a good transition because I, I think we were going to talk about. Um, well, let's let's conclude the five on five real quick. Uh, great, great shift. Perfect. That was great. I mean, I don't even think. Uh, and think I did it. I did it all in <laughs> in, in 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 skate shoes. Amazing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You didn't even you didn't even have any skates on. So the you 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 put it all on the line for your. Fellow yeah, I, I heard skate and I was like skateboarding and and you didn't <laughs> stop me. <laughs> um, let's say one nice thing about the Nashville Predators and actually this week it's really more about the. The city saying one nice thing about the the, the city, the Nashville Predators, the Tennessee Titans, uh, all of the all tons of local media, tons of, of local organizations, uh, and and as you mentioned, non-local uh, organizations have all helped out. Um, it's to me, it's it's been kind of right on brand with a lot of this. Uh, that that it's it's been quick response. It's been complete response. I mean, it, people have given money, time. Uh, just um, assistance, whatever was was needed. I I, I was talking to a friend who uh, lives in that area, uh, lives in the North Nashville area, who they just they needed someone to just take their trash out, uh, because all this stuff was collecting mm-hmm. and it just we had no way to get it because obviously the trash the garbage trucks were not coming through, mm-hmm. and so they just loaded up a truck and took trash away and took it somewhere, um, away. Um, just stuff like that. I mean, people just donating uh, time and money, and that's the thing that people needed most in this. Uh, and I don't know if you saw this, but uh, since we're talking about the Predators, um, the story about Pecorine and the flashlights. Yes, yeah, I saw yeah. that. Um, so there was just the story, and it was it was um, confirmed. Uh, he went to some like hardware store, Home Depot, something like that, and bought like every flashlight in the store, and it went to people in, in those neighborhoods, and I thought that was great. Yeah, um, I, I, good guy Pecorino. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to change anything and or or take this in a different direction. I'll just add on a, a a special thank you to the National Electric Service workers. Uh, you know, this they there were over 670 poles Gosh. were knocked down the storm. the The last major tornado that came through knocked down 200. Yeah, three times uh, as many. So, and I I'm seeing them all over the place. I've seen I, I've seen these guys working nonstop over the last week. Uh, I've seen them bring in extra crews to do even more work, and these guys are dedicated to doing it, doing it the right way. They've done their best to communicate. Um, you know, they've tried to be handled as best they can. I had to be on the phone with the electric service at one point, and and the woman I spoke to, I, I can't imagine how how tired and worn oh, she yeah. was, but she was uh, thoughtful and patient and kind with me as I was also struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it just just. Really incredible to see the work that they're doing, um, and for the people who are being mean to them on Twitter, shame on you. Um, these uh, people, these guys, there were people like harassing the, sure. the NES workers because they were frustrated. And I understand you're frustrated, but I mean, these you have to keep in mind. There's probably people on those crews who lost their homes. Yeah, who that, are out there working. It's a great point. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, just a special thanks to, to them. I mean, it goes out to all the emergency responders, to the police in Nashville, but yeah. NES happens to be the one I interacted with the most and, yeah. and I think had a, a lot of work to do as well as clearing. So just a, a special thank you to, to those folks, um, both the ones having to run the operations in the background and, and the, those who were, were in the streets working to get power back on for people and are still working to get power back on for people in Germantown, North Nashville, because I know they are still about 5,000 people last I saw without power. But it's down to five thousand. It's down to five thousand from like nearly 60? fifty. It was, I yeah, think, okay. it was just just okay. around fifty thousand okay. or a little bit more. Um, yeah, that it it affects everyone. Uh, fifty thousand homes. Gotcha, gotcha. It it affects everyone, and it's um, it, it's not uh, it's not easy for anyone. So I, I would just echo what you said. Be nice to people. Be nice to people you see, to people you don't know, people that you don't know in real life, and then also online. Be nice to them because uh, you don't know what they're going through right now. Um, you, you never know what anyone's going through. You should be nice to people all the time, but especially at a time when uh, this city's been half destroyed because of this uh, this thing that n- is no one's fault. So um, let's uh, let's end it there. Uh, let's let, actually let's just move to the upcoming games. Uh, we've we've covered a, a lot in this show, and we've done a, I think we've done a pretty good job. I, of it. I'd say I'd say there's some important games coming up over the next few weeks. Yeah, so there are six games before our next show, and four of them are all on the road, including uh, are those all four playoff teams? I guess is Columbus in the playoffs? Yeah, it doesn't matter. At Montreal, at Toronto. I guess Montreal is not really in the playoffs anymore. At Montreal, at Toronto, at Columbus, at Minnesota, and the, the Columbus Minnesota is a back to back. And then they come home uh, for Colorado and Philadelphia. Those are both playoff teams. So, I mean, again, six games all against tough opponents. This is going to be a, a very important stretch, just yeah. like the last one uh, was. I mean, they, they've got to, and there's games they have to win, and there's games they're going to struggle to win. Uh, but going 500 is not going to get them there because if they lose to Minnesota, that's a big deal. This is a team oh, they're yeah. chasing. Yeah, I but, mean, they they have to they have to win at least what four of the six minimum. Oh yeah, they got to yeah, go four sure. and two. But they have to if they go four and two and one of those wins is not Minnesota, then they might as well not have have played hockey that week. I mean, this yeah. is absolutely critical. So I bet Minnesota. I'm yeah, sorry, I bet I bet Soros starts them. Yeah, and, and Toronto is a team that can blow up the Predators. I mean, that's like playing Edmonton. Yeah, you know they can blow them up. Columbus is always a little bit of a wild card for the Predators these days. Colorado, tough matchup again. Very, very difficult for the Predators. Flyers, playing absolutely well. on fire. Yeah. I mean, six games away, they probably won't keep their streak alive. Um, but a very tough opponent in the Flyers, especially as they're surging and getting players um, into the groove. I mean, their trade, they did what felt like minor trades, but have had major impacts. Um, so... Another key stretch, but every stretch is key for the Predators with their with, with, with their point totals right now. Yeah, right, exactly. So, um, all right, great show. We've covered a lot. Uh, you can check all of our hockey coverage at A2ZSportsNashville.com. You can follow me on Twitter at AlexLardy1. Follow Link on Twitter at 3DLink. Uh, we will do uh, episode 11 two weeks from now, uh, March 22nd. There is a game that night in Chicago, so we'll, uh, we'll kind of work that out and make sure that, it, that this podcast drops at the right time. But... Um, we're kind of in a holding pattern, waiting to see if we can go to uh, weekly episodes because, frankly, we've got to see if this team makes the playoffs. If the, if the team makes the playoffs, we will record every week, but we've got to wait to see that happens first because, I don't know, it's up in the air. So, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, any final thoughts? Final thought uh, before we go? Uh, 
I, I, one thing that I'll, I'll touch on is this idea that when predator, the Predators can bring up kind of the Black Aces oh, yeah. to play and maybe give them some game time. I have seen some people suggest, oh, maybe they work in some of the Black Aces. Maybe they give Connor Ingram a few games to rest. The I'm like, guys, you got to make the playoffs first. Yeah. And like the Predators are not, they're, they're currently, they, they could very much be in a position where they have to win the last game of the season to make the playoffs. I would not be surprised oh, if that absolutely. happened for them. That, that's there where they're is, tracking right there now. There is no rest. And that's part of the problem with being a bubble team is that you don't there's, there's no rest until the Stanley Cup final. Well, or you um, lose. Yeah. What about just bringing all the Milwaukee Admirals up because they're playing better than the Predators <laughs> right now? <laughs> um, Would I that mean, work? It'd be hilarious. Yeah. Uh, you'll you'll see what an AHL team does against high quality NHL competition. Well, an AHL an AHL team almost beat the Predators in the Columbus Blue Jackets the other night, so. <laughs> that's fair. Um, all right. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.